was a upstart, wet behind the ears, didn't really know what I was doing. Um, still really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, and we went to this pastor's conference, and I went with John Hansen and a number of others. I think Tony was there, um, and there was, I think there was actually nine or ten of us from Parkway. And uh, this, this pastor's conference was in Minneapolis in February. Minneapolis in February. It's really cold. Like, it's the worst time and worst place you could possibly go. Most people go to Florida or Hawaii or California. We went to Minneapolis because we wanted to hear this guy by the name of James Montgomery Boyce. And some of you might remember that name, but he was a, a well-known preacher um, in the 20th century. He passed away in the year 2000. So we actually got to hear him speak the year before he died. And um, he was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church of Philadelphia, and he served in that church for 32 years, 32 years at the same church. And uh, so in light of that, the speaker at the conference stopped, and he, he said, listen, um, can I have all of the pastors in the audience stand up? And um, the, a, a large group of, of people stood up. And uh, he said, okay, um, now I want all of you who have served um, 10 years or under at the same church, sit down. And most of us just sat down. And the, but there's still a group, right, uh, standing up. And, and John Hansen was, I don't remember if he was to my right or left, I just remember he was standing. I'm like thinking to myself, we got a long ways to go. <laughs> he goes, okay, everybody who has served in ministry at the same church for 20 years or under, sit down. And almost everybody sat down. It's just a really small group. Then he said, okay, people who have been at your church, the same church, serving in pastoral ministry for 30 years, and under, sit down. And then I think he started to go up one year at a time, or maybe he went to 35, I don't remember. But at the end of the day, there was only two guys standing up. It was John Hansen and some other, other guy that looked as old as Moses, right? <laughs> I'm serious. I looked across the way, and there was probably three, 4,000 people there. And um, it was this guy that looked like he could have played Gandalf, you know, it's a big old long beard. And, and uh, if I remember right, and Tony, you can correct me because I think you were there, um, I believe John won. And, and everybody erupted in applause because, you know, it's, it's really unheard of to have somebody serve for so long. Um, this perseverance. And it, it's, it's something you don't see a lot these days. Um, it's very rare. And when we see it, we just, you know, we, we applaud it. And it's a good thing, right? Not only in pastoral ministry, but marriage. I sat next to Don Skinner um, for service, and he almost made it 69 years with his wife before she passed away. That's endurance. That's perseverance. And by saying that, I don't mean to heap guilt upon those of you who maybe have failed in some points. Um, but, but simply because we fail doesn't mean we shouldn't honor perseverance. And, uh, and that really is what we're going to talk about this morning. That's, that's what the whole chapter of, of, of Hebrews 11 is about, right? Perseverance in faith. Um, perseverance in, in, in faith. Uh, to continue to believe the word of the Lord, which is I appreciated sharing, praying for our kids and that they would trust the truth of God. Because at the end of the day, this is what we have. This is what we can count on is, is what God has said to us. And to trust him at his word, to trust him at his promises, and to believe and walk in that belief. That's, that's what these, these first, uh, or excuse me, these, 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 uh, these lessons from chapter 11 were all about. And if you're just joining us, we've been looking at the Old Testament characters of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and showing how not only did they believe, but their faith worked. Their faith produced something. It had a, a fruit to it. It had a fruit of obedience. And Noah built an ark, and Moses led the people into the promised land and so forth. Um, so it, it actually worked. And so this has been a, a series of messages on, on faith, looking at these Old Testament characters. And each one of them is a, is a model of someone who persevered in faith. 
persevered in faith. And here we come to the very end of chapter 11. The final verses of chapter 11 is kind of a summation. Um, I actually have one message left. It's next week because there is a final hero, but he's not found in chapter 11. He's found in the beginning of chapter 12, who is the hero of the Bible, who is Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. But this morning we we finish up chapter 11 um, with almost a a rapid-fire sequence of people who believed and acted in that belief. Here's, Here's the text. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Continuing on, verse 6, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended for their faith or through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So it's a rapid fire. This is what faith does um, when it perseveres. Rapid fire sequence. Now, I want, once again, to to make the main point of the book and the main point of this chapter. Um, The kind of faith that, that is in action in the texts and words behind me, let me see if I can... Yes is a faith that it's driven by and centered on the belief that what God promised is better. That is, the, at least in this, this chapter and in this book, um, the faith that persevered, the, the faith that showed this kind of courage and tenacity that acted and worked, is a faith that was driven by the belief that what God promised not only would he fulfill, but what God promised is better. It's a key word to the book. It's found twice in this chapter in which we find some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a, a better life, something better. And verse 40, since God had provided something better for us. It's such a, a, a great word, a, a comparative, something better. When you stop and think about it, the whole world revolves and acts out of this belief that there is something better out there, right? Um, people work long jobs because they believe retirement is better than work. Uh, the whole world revolves around this idea of better. Only for the Christian, we believe what is better um, only happens at the resurrection and when Christ returns. I mean, we get to taste it now by way of the Holy Spirit, but the day is coming when that better will come. And it's that something better that motivated them 
uh, to persevere, that motivated them to act in faith in all the ways that we, that we just read. Better, something better is coming. You know that word, at least the Greek word that we translate better, occurs 19 times in the New Testament. Okay, so follow me in terms of percentage. 19 times the word better is found in the New Testament. And of that 19, 13 of them are found in Hebrews. In other words, 70% of the time that that word is used is used in Hebrews. Because the whole point of the book, um, the whole strategy, the tactic, is to, is to present something better than this life. Something better than our circumstances. Something better than everything that the world has to honor. And the reason it's, it's showing us something better is because it knows how we're wired. We as people are, 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 are wired to pursue the best. We're, we're wired to pursue and choose what is better. And so it, it wants to display to us what's better. Right? You, you take, we're having an ice cream social. Let me bring ice cream back. You take and put two bowls of ice cream in front of me, one imitation ice milk, which my mother used to buy. It's not quite child abuse, but close to it. I mean, imitation ice milk. I mean, just ice milk doesn't sound good, but imitation ice milk. Imitation, you put imitation ice milk, vanilla, Ben and Jerry's in front of me. It's no brainer. I'm going to choose what's better, the creamy, well, delicious, succulent, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Making you a little hungry, aren't I? You put in front of me a can of Spam. It's canned meat. At the, it disgusts me. My roommate in college, when I, he found out I got engaged, he said, we're going to have... I probably shouldn't tell you this. He couldn't drink in college, so he get, brought O'Doul's near beer and Spam. Spam in front of me. Are you serious? That's how you're going to, like... Uh, spam or a filet mignon? Now, I'm only speaking to beef eaters here. If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry. Maybe you can talk about something else. But it's going to be the filet mignon every time. A moped or a Maserati, what are you going to choose, right? It's always the better. Because our hearts are wired to pursue the better. And the whole point of the book is to say, listen, there is nothing better than what we have in the person of and through the work of Jesus. He's the And I'm going to transition from a comparative word to a superlative word. Superlative of better is best, right? The best revelation is Christ. Um, I have to transition back. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's um, the author of a better relationship with God, a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. And he's leading us into a better promised land that has ever existed. Better, 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 better. And when the Christian heart, by way of the Spirit and God's grace working, when we believe it, that the best is yet to come, because God promised it, and because he promised it, it's going to happen as, as, as certain, in fact, more certain than the sun is going to rise tomorrow, that the best is yet to come. When we believe that as a church, when we believe that as a church, it produces perseverance, and it produces courage, and it produces the willingness to sacrifice one's own life in the process, because we believe there's something better out there that has been offered to us by God's grace in the person of Jesus. That drives the book. That drives this whole chapter, right? You got, that's the main point. If you don't believe it's better, you know what you're going to do? You're going to live for what you can touch and, 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 and consume right here. That's it. You'll make a God out of everything else, but the one true thing 
That's, that's the center. Now, you might say to me, Dan, I, I, when I don't live that, okay. Or maybe you'd say, I, I can't live that. I just, I, I'm not, I don't have that kind of faith. To which I, I want to respond. Listen, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you do have the capacity to believe like they believed and walk as they walked in faith, day by day, week by week, month by month. And to help you understand that a little bit, I, I wanted to just draw out four observations from what I just read. I made the main point, that is, um, that our faith is driven by the belief that what God promised is the best. Now, what does that look like? And there's certain things that just kind of pop off the page of how these men and women lived that, that should be a comfort to us. One thing that I observe, and, and it should pop out to you too, in this journey of faith that they walked, in this path of faith that we walked, is that, um, that these were sinful and broken people who, who just listened to God's word and did their best to follow and obey it. Everyone in, on this list is broken and sinful, as are we. And some of them struggled in their faith. Um, some didn't struggle as much. I, you look at the text, the very first person Verse 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute, right? Like a prostitute, someone who is like in the red light district of Jericho, makes this list because she believed in Yahweh. She believed that Yahweh is going to lead these people into the promised land, that nothing could stop his power, and she was kind to the Jewish people. Uh, Look at any name you want. Gideon had a problem with believing God, so he kept asking for a sign. Barak seemed to have an issue with a bit of cowardice, so he had to bring a girl named Debbie with him into battle, right? Samson had a, had a taste for Philistine women, which wasn't good, right? Delilah and that whole thing. Uh, Jephthah, uh, he was the son of a prostitute. Not only the son of a prostitute, but he was, uh, he was someone who made a, a very rash vow. In response to God's goodness, he says, you know what? I am going to sacrifice to you whatever first walks out my door. And you know what walked out his door? His daughter. That was just stupid. Uh, David. Do we need to talk about David? He's one of them's broken. Like you and me. Right? Each one of them's broken. And yet they, 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 they chose to listen to God, and to trust God, and to walk with God in their broken state. And that's, that's where we're at, you know? Not a single person in this room. I, I don't know all your stuff, and you don't know all my stuff. But we all have stuff. And it's, that's not to, 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 to excuse sinfulness. Not at all. It's just to say the simple fact is we're broken. But we're on the path home. And that path is a path of faith that works itself out in obedience. Right? It, simple obedience. Not all these guys had big, huge faith. Um, sometimes it was just a tiny mustard seed, but that, that mattered. That's what mattered. And the other thing it shows us is that because all these were broken, they really aren't the main hero of the story, are they? They aren't. The main hero of the story is introduced in chapter 12 as the author and the perfecter of faith, our pioneer, our hero, the one who laid a foundation to cover our sins so that we wouldn't have to fear the Lord any longer, at least not fear judgment or condemnation. So that's, that's one observation. They, they walk this life, as we walk this life, as broken people who are endeavoring by the grace of God to trust him and to listen to his voice. Second observation about this 
group, this list, is that the path of faith, putting this in terms of present tense, is different for everyone. What I don't mean by saying, saying that that way is I don't mean that there are many paths to God. I don't mean that. Um, Jesus seemed to be pretty clear when he said, I am the way, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one path to God, and that is through what Christ has done and who he is, period. Anything that deviates from that is a compromise. Now, I also don't mean it to say that all our paths aren't moving in the right direction or the, the same direction. Our paths of faith should be moving in the same direction. That is home. Um, back into the presence of the Lord um, as, a, as a resurrected people in a brand new place, a restored place, which one of my favorite passages is Romans 8, what, what, uh, what Ben read, because it talks about the restoration of the world. Um, so that's where that's all, all our paths are headed that direction. But it's interesting, every one of the, the people in this list, they were called to live and do something different in faith. You know, Moses had to, or excuse me, Noah had to build a boat, and Moses had to lead the people into the promised land, or at least up to the border of the promised land. Um, Rahab, she, I mean, like I said, she was a prostitute with a really shady past, but she had a choice to believe, and she believed, and had to trust that God would preserve her life when the, when the walls fell down flat. And it's, we all have a different path. God is custom-made your path of faith for you. And it's not going to be just like anybody else's. And he doesn't intend it to be like anybody else's. Have you ever thought about the fact that that the purpose that God has for your life in walking this earth by faith, although you're broken, is every bit important in terms of his plan as was Noah's and Moses'. He didn't, you're not an accident. Your path isn't an accident. You're here and you're walking this planet by faith, even if it's a broken faith, to make a difference, a difference that God has designed. So walk your path. Don't spend time, waste time, lamenting the fact that your path isn't somebody else's path or that your path seems harder than somebody else's. It may be, but that's simply the way that God has intended it. You know, there's this... I don't know if it's meant to be humorous or, or what, but at the, the final chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Peter, the rock, they are going to lead you in a direction you don't want to go and your arms are going to be outstretched. That was Jesus' way of saying, you know what, Peter? Your path is going to lead directly to martyrdom. They are going to crucify you. And Peter, hearing that, goes, what about him? Right? Points at John. What about him? Jesus like, it doesn't matter what's with him. Your path is your path. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's a distinctive path that you walk. Walk it. Walk it by faith. Don't spend time lamenting the fact that it's different than somebody else's. Everybody has their part to play. Okay? Oh, by the way, I should say, um, you can even sense like two general categories of how people live out their faith. You know, verses 33 through 35 are kind of like... Um, Navy SEAL experiences of faith. And verses 36 and following are the, are the martyr's experience of faith. I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of, hey, conquering kingdoms and enforcing justice and obtaining promises and stopping the mouth of lions and quenching fire and escaping the edge of the sword and um, sending pagan armies aflight? I mean, that's awesome. I want to be on that team, right? I'd love to be in David's army as a mighty man. That, that's a, I'm a winning team. 
That's not the only place that God has us walk, right? What about the rest? Because in 36, it switches. Others suffered. And I don't know that any one of us want any one of these little ING words happening to us. Mocking and uh, flogging, uh, being put in chains and imprisoned. They were stoned, which has nothing to do with marijuana. All right? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Probably a reference to Jeremiah, who was cut in half in Egypt. They were killed with the sword. Who wants to be part of plan B? Uh, walk through the fires of, of, of suffering, torture, and, and, and torment, and death. I'm, but you realize that God has his people walking through times when they're dominant and victorious, and, and others experience their faith in a place of oppression and suffering, pain, and death. That's interesting. God has his way of of leading his people in different times and ways, and sometimes it's on the victorious edge. We, we know that God wins in the end, right? Get that. But in terms of this world and how God has worked history, sometimes Christians are going to be in a place of dominance. You know? Sometimes we're going to experience the advance of the gospel in a way that will change a city, change a community, uh, change a nation. And that's happened before. It's like to see the power of the gospel conquer is is amazing. There are times when that has happened, and there are times when it will happen again around our globe. And there are other times when we are not in the dominant position in a culture or society. This is, this is practical right here. Earlier in our country's history, the dominant influence was Christianity and the gospel. We're living in a different time, especially in California, especially in the Bay Area. <laughs> in which we are no longer the dominant influence. We're actually the minority influence. And, uh, and at some level, culturally and socially oppressed. Can't speak out about certain things because you're going to be labeled or branded or called names. You know what? Our job, our job, uh, is to live by faith. Whatever context God and his sovereignty moves. When we're in the pinnacle of victory, live by faith. When we find ourselves suffering or in pain, we'll live by faith. That's our job. Trust the Lord. Christ, I, Jesus, I trust your word. I'm going to follow your word. Help my, help my faith. Our, our paths are different. Time and place. I mean, realize, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. You might feel like, wow, Christianity has lost its influence. You know what? Um, it's not the only time that's happened. Suck it up and believe. <laughs> right? Just suck it up and believe. It. That's what he calls us to do. He's in charge of the big stuff. We're in charge of following him and trusting him. Amen. Right? Uh, third, I'll go a little quicker because I think I've labored or lingered there. Um, the path of faith doesn't always make sense. And I brought this out before, but it's worth saying again because we need to hear this again. Um, you look at some of these uh, characters and you realize they were asked to do things that made no rational sense. When God told jo- jo- Joshua, I want you to take down Jericho. And Joshua was a military guy. He'd fought in a lot of battles. You know, he's, he's the sergeant major or he's the colonel or maybe he's the commanding general. And he's, uh, he's told, listen, this is what I want you to do. We're going to take down this city. God talking to Joshua, I'm going to take down the city. And Joshua's like, I'm ready, man. I am ready. 
He's like, I want you to go do seven days of laps around the city. Not with swords and not with spears and not with bows or anything that you can throw. I want you to blow some trumpets. It's just like a military guy going, you got to be kidding me. Right? You want me to do laps around the city? That makes no sense whatsoever. Gideon, who's praised for his faith. God says to him, ah, you know, 32,000 men, a little bit too many. We don't need 32,000, you know, fighters. Why don't you slim it down a bit? I want you to have 300 instead of 32,000. Again, military guy going, are you serious? It's like, we're going to go against a, 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 a greater numbered force with 300 guys. Makes no rational military sense, tactical sense at all. But it does it. And that's, sometimes things make sense. Other times things don't make sense. Even the whole suffering thing. Why does, why does somebody have to get sawn in two? Why did you work that into the plan? That's, it seems a little bit morbid. It doesn't have to make sense. You know, I had, on, the disciples never saw Jesus being crucified. They never saw it coming. It made absolutely no sense that a Messiah, that their king would die on a cross. No sense whatsoever. And yet the beauty of God's magic is that he brings salvation for the whole world out of something that just simply didn't make sense till afterwards. Parts of your path aren't going to make sense, right? It's just not going to make sense. Um, You might never, this side of, of resurrection, you might not ever know why there's a divorce in your past, especially if it wasn't your fault or mostly your fault. You never, may never have the answer as to why God put something very difficult and painful um, along your path, and it could be anything. It doesn't have to, does it? Your job isn't to make sense of everything. It's not my job. Our job is to trust him, say, I trust you, and I trust that something better is coming. I trust that the best is yet to come. That's, that's your job. That's my job. There's this, uh, there's this writer, and I commend this book to you for the, those of you especially who have painful things in your past that you can't understand. Um, I, I, that should be very encouraging to you. I probably offered this as a, a bibliography before, but um, there's this book called The God I Don't Understand by Christopher Wright, a theologian, scholar in England. And it's just a great great read, especially for people who have experienced painful things. And this is one of the most brilliant things he said, and I commend it to you. I haven't put every word to memory, but the idea I have. Listen to this. Um, It is also profound recognition that faith seeks understanding. Now, the italics are his, not mine. Um, recognition that faith seeks understanding. It wants to know. It wants to resolve. It wants to have the questions why answered. And faith builds on understanding. The more we understand and know, faith is increased where it is granted. That is where understanding is granted by God. But faith does not finally, and this is the most important word, depend on understanding. Right? I don't have to know to believe. This is not to say, of course, that faith is intrinsically irrational, quite to the contrary, but that faith takes us into the realms where explanations fail, or explanation fails us for the present. 
right? Job didn't have a clue why everything was happening to him when he lost all of his family and a lot of his stuff. And yet he still was able to say, though you slay me, I will trust in you. You didn't have to understand to believe. If you have to understand to believe, it means you have to be in control. And a lack of understanding it really releases control of the resolution to the Lord saying, listen, I, I can't figure this out, but I know that you have somewhere it figured out. I'm just going to make this a matter of faith, and I'm going to trust you. That's, 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 at the end of the day, that's where, where we have to resign control and allow the Lord to be trusted. So, doesn't always make sense. It's okay. Our job is to trust and follow. And the fourth and final is that the path of faith ends at the same place and the same time for all of us. That's the summary statement of verse 39 and 40. All of these, that is the, all the people in the entire list, from verse 1 all on, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They never got the ultimate better promise. That is, promised something better or best. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Uh, made perfect is, you know, resurrection, new creation, the presence and the face of God. Not apart from us. In other words, uh, they're still waiting. There's this cool little quote by N.T. Wright where he talks about life after, life after death. Life after death goes to be in the presence of the Lord. Life after life after death is when heaven and earth become one. And all of us together are raised from the dead. That's life after life after death. And they're still waiting that, you know? Sean Hansen has not beat us. He beat us into the presence of the Lord. But we crossed the line. I've said this before. All of us together because there's a waiting it's not like a, like, a, like a running race where, hey, you know, he came in first, and 10 minutes later, someone came in second, and like 10 minutes later, someone came in third. It's like, no. It is a communal event. It's like, 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 like going to homecoming. Remember homecoming? Everybody's all dressed up, and you put on your corsages, and you get the limo. I never got the limo. I was the Mazda. It's a real chick magnet, right? The Mazda. And I uh, wasn't allowed to dance, so I had to do something else. But we all experienced homecoming together. By the way, dancing's great, right? Psalm 50, 150. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Wow, it's in the scripture. Anyway, um, all one event. It's the highlight. It's the homecoming. And the thing is, brothers and sisters, homecoming is coming. It's upon us. At some point, at some point, it's going to be homecoming. All of us together, dressed in white. Um, and, and, and we'll experience firsthand the fullness of what is better, what is best. That's what you have to live for. That's, that's, that is the driving force of their faith. The best is yet to come. You have to believe that. One final story, and this is one of my favorite stories that kind of cements this in. I don't know if any of you know the name. Um, uh, is it Florence Chadwick? Anybody know that name? Good. There's a couple. Good. You know it. Do you remember what she did? I don't want to put you on the spot. She's, yes. yes we, we have people who love history here. This is awesome. 
So she, yes, uh, Florence Chadwick, she swam across the English Channel. Like this is back in the early 1900s. And then you know what? She swam it in the opposite direction. And then she decided she was going to swim, swim from Catalina Island. You know, most of you know where that is, in Southern California, off the coast of Long Beach. And she was going to swim to the mainland. Now, I've read two conflicting reports. It's either 22 or 26 miles. Do not take out your iPhone and check it right now. <laughs> 22 miles. So in 1952, she leaves Catalina Island. She begins swimming. She swims for 15 hours. That's like a marathon of marathons, but it's swimming, right? And there's boats all around her flanking her in case there's a big great white shark or something else. She swims for 15 hours, and a fog layer sets in. And because hiding the beach, hiding the, the mainland, so she couldn't see where she was going. So she swam for another hour into her 16th hour, unable to see where she was going. And you know what? She said, you got to pull me out. So they pulled her out of the water. And what she didn't realize is that she was only a mile off. She's out 21 miles, man. 21 miles. Gave up a mile short. That's chump change when it comes to swimming that far. So you know what she did two months later? She attempted again. She, Catalina Island, she swam. And she swam and she swam and she swam. And another fog layer came in, right? Only this time, the fog didn't keep her from swimming or giving up. So she swam, and she made it all the way. And someone asked her, what, 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 what made the difference between the same distance, same fog? And she, you know what she said? She said, um, when the fog came in, I kept a mental image of the shore in my mind. She couldn't see it with her eyes, but she could see a mental image in her mind's eye. And she kept that mental image, and she persevered, and she swam, and she made it all the way. Church, we can't see what's coming with our physical eyes. But you have, we have to maintain that mental image that the shore is coming. We have to keep that mental image of the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and hearing a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the presence of God now dwells with man, and he will wipe every tear that has to be there. And when that's there, we find a faith that perseveres. It, it finds courage, and it's willing to sacrifice. Simply put, brothers and sisters, keep that the better in your mind's eye and walk by faith in whatever journey God has you. Right? God, may you make it so in this church's life. I pray and thank you for the last 50 years of perseverance for many people doing many different things, including our founder and his wife. And I pray, God, that you would allow us to live a persevering, courageous faith in the years to come. In his name, amen.